Hi, this is Tim Winter. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A digital conversation exploring the leadership experience. You can listen to it at timwinter.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A podcast exploring the leadership experience. Experience. In the studio today is Leon Anderson, who's the president of Instrument Agency here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and I am just thrilled to have Leon in the studio. Um, he used to work for me years ago at Metal Toad uh, when I was the chief operating officer there. And a funny story, he was uh, how he came to Metal Toad was uh, we were. Uh, the Oregon Lottery was using the Metal Toad office to film a commercial for the Oregon Lottery. And we'll get into this, but Leon's got a little bit of acting in his past and uh, are a lot. And uh, he was one of the actors in the commercial and um, they filmed it and he looked around the office. He's like, gosh, what do you, and, and he happened to have a, a, a past working relationship with our head of HR. And he looked around and said, what do you guys do? And, uh, Next thing I knew, he was working for us. So, Leon, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you very much. I mean, how many people can say that they got a job while they were filming a commercial? You know what? I always tell people, wherever you are, keep your eyes open. Because um, it was literally used to post any open roles um, up on just like printed out sheets of paper on the yeah. long hallway whiteboard. And yep. I was looking around, seeing everything, um, and I saw that piece of paper that said uh, technical consultant. And I wasn't necessarily looking to for a new job. At the time, I was working um, for a mining and construction uh, design company here in town um, and as a mechanical engineer. And I saw that, and I looked around and saw the offices, how clean it was, compared it to... Uh, my day-to-day -day working in a foundry and going out to mine sites uh, across the world. And I was like, I could settle down a little bit. I can uh, <laughs> enjoy these taps in this beautiful library. Um, and yeah, so I talked to Randy and I said, hey, I don't know exactly what you do in the development space, um, but I know that at a high level, I check all of these boxes. It might not be specifically for websites or software, but I know how to work with people. I understand engineers. And I, if it comes to finding the why uh, behind a solution, count me in. And I don't know how much she paid you or how much she paid Tony or whatever, but y'all let me into the mix. And it's been love ever since. Well, you know, it, 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 that's a great lesson, though, you know, like because the reason we posted a job is I wanted full transparency. Yeah. I wanted everybody to know within the company what you are, what we were hiring for so that if they wanted to apply, they could. And there was a full transparency of what was available and what we were doing as a company. You know, another interesting we you know, it, it says a lot about creating a space. We got another project manager, Haley. Hey, I don't know if you remember Haley. Um, and, and the way we got Haley was she was working in the office building across the street. <laughs> she looked over and said, what are they doing? That looks like the coolest place in the world. So at one day at lunch, 
She walked over, came up the elevator. She got off the elevator and she's like, I have to work here. And I don't remember, you know, I, I designed that office and I don't remember if you, re you know, I designed the, the, the lobby yeah. to feel like the W Hotel in yep. San Francisco. So I painted everything orange and it had those cool pin lights and we played cool music. And when you got off the elevator um, and of course, AK had replaced the elevator buttons with our logo. Absolutely. We were the only, only, you know, the only uh, business in that building that had their own button and it was just cool. And uh, I, I think that's a lesson for people is, you know, transparency and create a work environment, which engage people, yeah. um, which is a little harder today because, you know, people are working from home. I get that, but I still think people want that creative. Uh, I know at Tau we use, uh, we work with uh, the central offices and, you know, they do a really great job of creating uh, a really creative space that for me, it's, it's super helpful yeah yeah i don't um, remote being forever um and it's going to be interesting how we shift our companies to be able to support remote employees because we've now have amazing folks all over the place and to ask them to uplift and shift their life um is just not gonna ooh, happen that's not gonna happen but at the same time, people are acknowledging, wow, I do love going into an office. I do love having that collaboration, those serendipitous moments of just like passing by and having spontaneous conversation. So how do we create that balance that honors both without sacrificing each other, without compromising, quote unquote? Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting time and it's going to be an interesting um it's going to be an interesting transition to see what what's happening. Absolutely. So, so, yeah. so this is how we met. You yep. were filming a commercial. And here's the crazy part about that too. It's once that film, once that commercial filmed or was showing on television, I saw it probably a hundred times. It did all you could tell, all you could see of metal toad was the orange wall. Yeah. It's so interesting how, when they film you, you, you think you're going to really see it, but really all we saw was the orange wall yeah i think that only filmed in the kitchen uh yep. they used the front conference rooms as uh hair and makeup and wardrobe yep. um and it was really only a corner of the kitchen at that it was uh yeah the orange yeah. wall and the uh glossy white uh cabinetry yep the... that was it yeah hey do you remember so at metal toad whenever somebody left yeah, we always tried to do a celebration, right? Because I'm I'm a firm believer that offboarding is more important than onboarding. Absolutely, I think it was you said to me it was um, <laughs> that you believed that Metal Toad is not an end destination for anyone. It's like a lily pad. I think is the metaphor that you use the appropriate one, or not appropriate because it's a toad, not a frog, but. Um, but it's a stepping stone or a lily pad to someone's future. And so you always celebrate them joining and what they're going to bring. Contributing. Well, as you celebrate their offboarding and what they have uh, done and how they've grown your space. Yeah, it was really important to me that, that you know, we celebrated people uh, because you never know, you know, they could come back and if they have a great experience now, obviously there's, you can't do it for everybody. You got to let somebody go for something. But for the most part, if somebody 
comes in, works, and then left. And, you know, I think the company, when I left, the company certainly uh, honored me with a, a going away. And I don't know if you remember this, and I don't know if I ever thanked you, but um, it was a rather emotional thing for me because I had poured my heart and soul into that company yeah. in so many ways, creatively, into all of the people, into the growth. Um, you know, and it was a, a creative, uh, uh, development agency. There were a lot of creative people there and it was, a, it was, uh, it was an emotional, uh, departure. And I remember you standing next to the podium over by the white counters. And I remember you looking at me going, cause I think I was going to lose it. I was getting very emotional. And you said, all right, hold it together, hold yeah. it together. <laughs> and you kind of coached me through. I don't know if you remember that, but I do. <laughs> It sounds like me. I'm Hold not it. using tears. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Hold it together, Tim. This is your party. You cry uh, in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, again, welcome to the show. It's so great to catch up with you. And, you know, as uh, as somebody who worked with you early in your career, earlier in your career, I'm so proud of your journey and, um, and where you've landed as of today. Uh, so why don't we talk about that a little bit? Like after you left Metal Toad. Yep. Um, after I left uh, Metal Toad uh, for, uh, in order to start a burgeoning relationship uh, with one of our then clients and without any kind of conflict of interest, um, I went over to Instrument and that was seven years ago uh, or so. And so, um, Instrument was uh, seeking, it's another agency in Portland, uh, now also in New York and Los Angeles. Um, but at the time, they were seeking uh, their first product manager. So someone who could really help them uh, create, develop, uh, control releases uh, for internal uh, products that are used to manage uh, forecasting and finance, as well as uh, sort of the internal intranet so the hub for uh learning and all information about people uh and the processes of the company and i went uh did my first interview um and i had never heard of the agency before turned out i'm one of the few people in the world who hadn't heard of that <laughs> before. um but i remember sitting there and actually it uh, kind of goes back to what you said about celebrations and like the um, celebrating people when they leave during my first interview, it was just out in the open um, in the middle of this wide open building. And I remember the interview was interrupted three different times. Uh, one time was um, a gentleman named Sohail, who was uh, sort of the people ops, um, the director of people ops at the time. And he came by and like gave a high five to Fong, who was interviewing me. And they started teasing each other. And I was like, I like this environment. I like this energy. Um, and then the second time uh, was there was this loud. Uh, it was a gong. There was a, <laughs> a <laughs> Asian gong in the middle of the atrium. It's no longer there because we realized you know what, this is probably not the right thing to do. Um, but it sounded, the sound reverberated around the building. A projection went up on the screen, and then there was a sizzle reel for work that had just launched. And oh. the way everyone came out to the center of the atrium, they got up from their desks from whatever they were doing, and they came out 
watched, celebrated, enjoyed, clapped. It was like everyone was taking ownership and pride over that work. I was like, wow, this is powerful. Uh, and then the third interruption was it was somebody's birthday and the entire company, again, saying happy birthday. It was a 45 second break in the work. And I was like, this is the this is an environment. I, I was thankful that I found that uh, position so quickly and I wasn't out of work for a long time. But it was truly an environment of celebration of honoring the work and the people who are inside the building. And it became a no brainer for me. And thankfully, um, I think it was a no brainer for them. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're seven years <laughs> into the relationship and we're still happy. So <laughs> that's great. That that's see again, you, you, the environment that they created, you wanted to be part of it. Absolutely. It, it's the laws of attraction. Yeah. It's, um, I will say that it's the thing that when we have, we call them uh, boomerangs. So folks who uh, yeah. leave the company for whatever opportunity or reason, uh, and then they spend some time out in the wilds. And the biggest reason why people come back is they say, I miss that energy. I miss the excitement, that spirit of celebration, the community. Uh, that you build around the quality of work. Um, and it and it doesn't mean that it's a sauna or a country club. There's accountability. There's yeah. a desire for quality. There's a there's personal accountability. There's team accountability. Uh, there's high performance in that environment. And it also people it, always it, think that it becomes a country club, and it's nope. not. It nope. there, there's there's such a high degree of 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 performance. And it's, there's always an opportunity to learn. Uh, like when I came in, you know, working at uh, Metal Toad, we mostly focused on development. Um, we had partners who were in the design space. Um, but like editorial design was never a thing that I was seeing uh, while I was at uh, Metal Toad. And before that, I was building lips for drag lines. Uh, so you know, curation wasn't exactly uh, my forte. Um, but when I started at Instrument, I sat behind uh, Steve Denicus, uh, who's then the uh, VP of design. And my desk was right behind his. So I got to look over his shoulder every day and I would see the things that he looked at on a day-to-day -day basis, see the way that he reviewed portfolios that he kept up with like ongoing trends in the directions in the design industry. And I started to get a sense of like what craft like was, and it was my introduction to it. And one day I went over and I was like, Hey, I've been looking over your shoulder for about like four months. <laughs> And I see you looking at these images. And I was wondering what's drawing you to uh, one piece of content over another. And from that moment, he was like, any question that you have, come over, ask. Anytime we're doing a design crit, come over, sit, watch, listen. And it's being surrounded by greatness. I will say greatness. Um, that does create that accountability and that drive to also be great to get over the imposter syndrome by delivering. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's amazing. It, it's it's absolutely. So, so let me ask you this. Has your philosophy about leadership changed? So, you know, you were primarily part of a team uh, yeah. through a lot of your career. And now, I mean, you're a full-fledged agency president, people leader, you know, everything you say, do, and, and, and <laughs> think is, is being examined Has your philosophy of leadership changed. I mean, that was always the hard, the thing that I had to get used to when I became chief operating officer at Hollywood entertainment, 25,000 employees. Yeah. I realized that every single thing I did was being watched. Yep. And, um, that it was, it was anyway, yeah. that's your philosophy from changed. Or how has it changed? Yeah, I will say that it, at the core of it all, I don't believe that my philosophy or my why has changed. I've always wow. been someone who's uh, been driven by people, uh, whether that's just wanting to always hang out with friends and maybe to the detriment of other romantic relationships, um, or it's consistently learning in groups, trying new activities, trying new ventures, joining intramural sports, whatever the case might be. I've always been driven by relationships and people. Um, however, the way that that shows up, I've found, has had to shift. So definitely, as I moved from being an individual contributor to being part of uh, like team leadership to mm-hmm. running a team and being responsible for uh, effectively balancing the uh, expense and overhead of my people with the revenue coming in um, to then moving up an entire discipline and now uh, being president of an agency, it's, I I have to be more careful with how I represent for others. So while I could previously wing it, there are a lot of people who are very, I won't use the term type A, but they're very detail oriented. And so when I wing it and I live in my uh, existence of sitting in an unknown and being very comfortable in that unknown, they get very uncomfortable because I haven't explored this detail or I haven't explored this little Nat's ass like corner that could come back and bite them. And so I have to be really careful with how I communicate in order to make sure that I am setting a solid foundation uh, for those folks to not have to think about or worry about what they're, existences and they can just create they can just do um and one of the things uh you know i heard from me it was probably back in i don't know 2015 or so 2016 is we were talking about um emotional quotient eq um which is all the rage back then but you had shared that um you know as if you look at a histogram of levels going across the x-axis and uh, emotional quotient on the y-axis as you move up from beginning ic to middle management emotional quotient on average increases 
But then from middle management up to CEO and executive levels, it begins to plummet on average. Um, the great ones have a high EQ, though. Yep. But on average, it drops. And that's always stuck with me is do I truly, if I look back at myself, am I being the leader that I want? Am I actually seeing my team members as humans and not just a cost, not just a part of the machine uh, that I can leverage efficiency? Um, and so that's why I say like, it hasn't changed at the core of it, but uh, the way that my leadership manifests has shifted a little bit. Yeah, because I would say that you're even a type of person who you thrive in the unknown. Yeah. You thrive oh. in the, you know, be, and, and a lot of that is because you have the confidence to know that you'll get through it. But you've also, you know, purposely put yourself in those positions with like your comedy troupe and your acting. Yep. Like, never. Know, that's a lot of. If I never had to document anything in my life, I would be a very happy person. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's the reason why I, you know, improv found me, but why I continue uh -huh. in improv and didn't real aside from commercials here and there, um, really never went into scripted acting um, is because I don't like doing the same thing multiple times. Um I don't like repetition. I don't like I when I give a presentation or I deliver a proposal, I want to stay in that moment um, because it's when you walk into a room and you're asking for however much money from someone to deliver something. It's not the same environment as it was when I'm sitting in my home office and like going through the slides. And so I need to be able to recognize the differences, recognize the energy, see the person who's sitting across the table from me and how they maybe just came from a horrible day. They maybe just sat in traffic and then, you know, whatever. Someone stole their hubcap. Yeah. I don't know what happened before <laughs> we both walked into the room, but I need to be present. And when I find that if I'm in a script, I can't be present to the differences and to the nuances of the room. And so it's that unknown, that um, space of uh, nothingness is really a playground for me. It's I describe it as a sandbox. It's just like, hey, we're here to play. We're here to create and to make a future that we never could have imagined before. It's it's interesting though, and it's and kudos to you for recognizing that not everybody's comfortable in that sandbox, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and that is the that is the challenge of of leading large groups of people. You know, I was always I, I'll never forget years and years ago. Uh, he's now since passed. Uh, a guy who I used to work for me, his name was Larry Painter. He was his own vice president out of Dallas, and uh, he he came up to me one day and he goes, you know. Uh, I've worked for a lot of people in my life and I try to take something from each one of them. And you know what I'm going to take from you, Tim? I said, what's that, Larry? And Larry was a very type A, okay? Larry saved a quarter of every dollar he ever made his whole life. Uh -huh. 
Um, he 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 drove. He always wanted a fancy car, but he always drove a sensible car. Mm-hmm. He always wanted. Right. He always wanted to wear high heels, but he always wore loafers. Yep. And that was Larry. Okay. And um, uh, I think he got wild and crazy one time. He bought some new rims for his uh, glasses. He bought new new style of glasses, which was go out on a limb for Larry. And um, I said, Larry, what are you going to take? What is that? And he goes, you know. No matter who you're talking to, Tim, doesn't matter if it's a CSR, customer service representative, or the, the CEO of the company, you are 100% present. Yeah. And I looked at him like, that's what you, aren't you? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, and, and, he, and he used to say to me, I, I, we were traveling his market one time and I, and I don't carry my cell phone into stores. And he goes, hey, I noticed you don't carry your cell phone. What if Mark calls you? Mark was our CEO. Yep. What if Mark calls you? I said, I'll call him back. I said, Larry, I will probably never be in, uh, you know, wherever, far Texas again. We had 3,000 stores. Yeah. So when I go into a store, I don't, I'm not going to stop a conversation to answer a phone. Because that is the most important thing I'm doing at that moment. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be interrupted by a cell phone. This, I can get back to the car. I know shit. We're in Texas. We're going to have lots of windshield time. Yeah. I can follow up on any phone calls that I want to follow Absolutely. up on. And it's that need. And of it, it's, it's just not, a, for me, it's a need because much like you, yeah, I think my leadership philosophy has changed, but not at the core, at the core, I love people. Yeah, And I recognize that businesses are just computer screens, paper, pencils, desks without the people. Yep. And so, and, and to your point, and I, I'm so happy that you said this, people are not an expense. And if any leader looks at their people as an expense, they're missing, they're missing the boat. Yeah. Uh, people are not an expense. People are an asset. And, and that goes, if that philosophy sticks, then it goes all the way back to the hiring Oh, because you're hiring and just like, you don't just go to a car lot, buy a car. You think about what you want. What are the needs? What are this? What are that? It's the same thing with hiring people because it's, it's, it's a big decision if you're hiring for alignment and you're hiring this asset into your organization. It goes through everything. It's your entire philosophy. If you view people, but there's lots of companies out there, Leon, and you know it, yeah, who view their people as an expense. And as I, in this role of president, um, I'm still getting used to saying it. Um, so if I, <laughs> if I say it weird, yeah, you but... wear... <laughs> no, baby, you wear it well, you wear it well, <laughs> but in the role, it's, um, you know, I'm flying closer to the sun. And so while there were like coming up in an organization, I can always create myths uh, and create the environment in my head that I want to say like, oh, people is always the first conversation in every business and every conversation. It's all about the people. And as you go further and further up, you start to see the headwinds and the pressure that exists. Um, and it's real. There are organizations that we work with, our own included, that you have pressure of shareholders. You have 
CFOs who maybe have never walked, stepped foot in your partner's office. They're just looking at a metric on a spreadsheet. And did you hit that metric or did you miss that metric? If you missed that metric, how can we balance this out? Oh, there's this massive expense that we have over here uh, of people who don't have names because it's obfuscated. So they're literally just employee IDs. That seems like a great place to take some, like to cut a little bit in order to protect our bottom line. And we see it happening with a lot of the, you know, tech giants over the last two years. When you need to make the shareholders happy and increase your profitability, you you start having your 10% decrease in ad count. You start to like move the needle. Um, but is is that the right way? I don't know. I don't know, but I'm more exposed to that. And so yeah. I it's shaking the myth of, oh, it's always about creating that environment for the people. Now, I hope that in my role and as I'm closer to the sun, as I'm working with our CEO, I can continue to like bring my core self to the table. And when Laurel is having a challenge where somebody's telling her, oh, we need to hit this quarterly number and we're not doing it. And so you need to act quickly. I can bring just as much energy to talk about, hey, these are the people that are inside. This is how we can train, develop. This is how we can pivot without sacrificing our team's experience. And, I, you know, I don't know how sustainable that is. Maybe we'll talk in two years and I'll uh, be smoking a cigar, wearing loafers with no socks and, you know, how <laughs> chairs. <laughs> but... <laughs> Right now, my goal is to like hold on to that why because I truly do believe that it's the uh, basis and the backing of a sustainable and long-lasting growing organization to think long-term. And thinking long-term means protecting the assets that you've invested in, who have invested their time into you, um, as opposed to moving with the winds of change and always looking at just sort of your revenue and your margin on a spreadsheet. Yeah. And it, you don't have to guess that it, you don't have to guess. You see companies out there who have done that, who believe in that philosophy and who have not changed that philosophy. And when they do change it, I, I mean, a great example of that, and it goes all the way back and it's in the book, good to great Jim Collin outlines it. Well, um, circuit city was a yeah. pillar of electronic retail. And then they looked at their people and they said, ah, we don't need to have video files. We can just hire $15 an hour people. Yeah. And they changed their entire model. You used to, when you would go to a circuit city, if you bought something in a department, that person would ring you up. Then they went to central checkout. All of these cost cutting, got to save measure. Well, good luck finding a circuit city. <laughs> and they were an icon. They were an icon. Southwest Airlines. When Herb Keller runs Southwest Airlines, he used to have a saying, it's easier to run a company with love than fear. Yeah. Freedom is not allowing people to wear khakis on Friday. That's not freedom. He wanted people in Herb. And they had, what, 30 years of just unbelievable success. And then... 
they went in, Herb died, new CEOs, all of this, and they start running like every other airline. Well, now they have all kinds of safety issues. Now they're having on time issues. They're having, uh, they're right back to just being an airline like every other airline because they started to run the company like every other airline where they viewed their people as expenses, not assets. And Herb Keller always viewed his people as assets. They were their number one. In fact, there's a great story and here I'll be vice president of memories, but he, uh, it was back in the seventies. They had three airplanes, the entire, they were running, basically serving Texas out of love field and they couldn't make payroll. And there was a choice pay layoffs or sell an airplane. And Herb said, sell the airplane. Can we keep all our routes? Can we keep people in the air? Yep. And sell the airplane. And the guy looked at him like he was crazy. And Herb says, you got to remember something. We're not in the airplane business. We're in the people business. So sell the airplane. Boeing's in the airplane business. We're not. We're in creating freedom where people can travel from one place to another. And we try to do that in the best way that we can and in the most enjoyable way we can with a high degree of service. And that requires people. Yeah. And, and that's, that's this, you know, so the lesson is there. Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're uh, with private equity and a lot, we're not driven by that, but the companies who Costco is another great example. I love the CEOs, uh, the, 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 whether it happened or didn't happen, it's urban legend. It was on a, uh, an analyst call and the analyst had ran a model and said that if he would just pay minimum wage, he could save X amount of millions of dollars. And the CEO said, you should sell myself today. Cause you clearly don't understand what makes Costco special. Yeah. It's our people. And we get really great quality people because we pay them a good wage. And you have great service and clean stores. You don't walk. You've never walked into a Costco in your life where it's in shambles. No. It might be busy. It might, but it's not. I mean, with the volume they're doing, it's, you walk into a Macy's today. My God, you're, you it's can't find you anything. Can find half them. the clothes are, yeah, half the clothes are on the floor. Every show, every, you know, every standee is empty. Every uh, rounder has three items on it. No, I mean, it's, it's because they view people as an expense, yep, not as an asset. They create an experience that you want to go to. You'll never find that in a Costco that you'll never find them being short of people. My God, they got people everywhere. And so it's just a, it's a philosophical, you know, and I believe that if you take care of your people, your people will take care of the business. I believe that your cost will come in line. Your things will happen on time. I don't think people at Costco are trying to take an hour advantage of the, of the clock because they have this relationship with the employees in the company. And I think just recently they had one of their stores in Virginia go union voted to go union. And how did Costco respond to it? They didn't blame the employees. They blame themselves. The leadership took full. Yeah. Leadership said there's a letter it's out on LinkedIn it's out on social media. And they said, look, we failed. We did not create an environment where the employees didn't feel that they needed the protection of a union. We failed. 
And we're very, very sorry for that. We'll do better. That's amazing. Yeah. But that's when you view your people as, as a, as that. So you're, oh God, Leon, I could talk to you all day. You are, here's, I'm going to tell you this too. People will want to work for you. And that is why your career, and I know you're uncomfortable with the title and, (laughs) and and, and as you should be. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah. You'll get there. No, you should be. It's the humility. It's why you want That's why I want to work for you. It's why everybody wants to work for you. It's why people like you. You have this really special quality of likability, right? And then you back it up with this, you know, all your degrees and your, and your intellect, which is a really special thing. Um, and that's why people want to work for you because you, you know why? Because the word leadership implies leading. You're going to take me somewhere. And you take people to a place where they can do their best work. Yeah. And that's, and and that's at your core. I mean, I worked with you. I know I watched you. I watched you run around metal toad. I watched the way people gravitate. I, I had a front row seat to it. I didn't personally work for you, but I watched it. And, and if, you know, you've worked, I, I was the CEO of that company. So, you know, a, a, a large part of the leadership and you saw the way that I approached work and people and business. And, you know, observing the way that people were interacting was probably my number one job Yeah, to make sure that we were staying core yep. or true to our core beliefs and what, what we published in toad lore and that that wasn't just bullshit, that it was real. And that, that was your experience as an employee. That was my job. And if we failed, then I needed to address it. Um, you've worked for some crazy companies companies you've done amazing work both personally both on the on the comedy scene uh professionally with some great companies what are you most proud of man um so i would say and it's it's really small in the grand scheme of things um but when I was a, after graduating from uh, USC, I was uh, uh, with my aerospace engineering degree. Um, I couldn't get a job. Uh, there was just no aerospace jobs available uh, for me uh, specifically. Um, and so I was working as a doorman for a while and then ended up finding a great job with um, uh, working on a predator. Uh, be doing R and D and driving a hundred and some odd miles each way uh, to, get to that job. Um, but I was real honest with them up front. They said, "Hey, do you want to? Will you move to Victorville or Atalanta, uh, which is like basically halfway between Los Angeles and uh, Vegas?" And I said, uh, "Nope, <laughs> you, you you didn't pay me enough uh, to do this." And I was like, but I will, I will work my butt off uh, while I'm here and while I'm doing this because I really appreciate having the opportunity. And so it was a mutual understanding. Um, I then went from there and worked for, got a job with Northrop Grumman um, and working on the F-35 Lightning II. Uh, there's actually a drawing right behind me of it uh, because it is very special to me. Um, and 
you know, it's a massive project. Uh, there are three variants of this airplane. It's uh, tens of trillions of dollars of investment from the uh, globally um, still in development uh, to this day. Um, and I was working on the front inlet lip. So a tiny uh, 60 pound piece of steel. And I worked on that for a year and a half. And F-35 uh, was out here at the Hillsboro. Um, I think it was either Hillsboro or McMinnville, one of the air shows um, this past year. And I got to take Bennett and Lennox, my two boys, out there. Wow. Just like getting to see something of that scale through their eyes and be able to like point to this thing that's outlasted my career in aerospace will go on forever and to like say like yeah no it doesn't matter like how big the thing is but if you're putting your all into it it's special yeah yeah that uh <laughs> that little hunk of steel uh that we've probably spent far too many hours in the FEA and redesigning and trying to shave quarters of a pound out of uh, being able to share that with my kids uh decades later um is probably the thing that I'm absolutely the most proud of wow that's cool and don't it's not the little things you know my my uh my son got married this weekend and uh, my oldest son got married this weekend and they asked me to officiate the wedding. And I, uh, I thought long and hard about it. And I, <clears throat> I read them a poem um, as part of the ceremony from Wilford Peterson called the art of marriage. Hmm. And it starts with uh, the little things are the big things, <laughs> you know, yep. and, uh, you know, never forget to say, I love you and always hold hands, but it's the little things. It really is the little things. And, uh, that's super special. And I love, I love, I absolutely love how you drop. Well, you know, when I had my aerospace degree and then I, <laughs> Well, I, I was going to say, I was going to say, it's just like, you know, when I know exactly how you feel when I got my uh, degree in culinary arts and I could not find a gig because uh, <laughs> I wasn't very good. No, I'm kidding. I, was like, I love that. Man, but That's you like know a what? mic drop. That's like a mic I'm, drop. That's... I would not change my, I, what was it? A full year of working as a doorman at the comedy and magic club in Hermosa beach, California. Um, probably not what my mom expected me to be doing after moving across the country to go to a very expensive and very prestigious university. Um, but man, I wouldn't change that year of my life for anything. Um, don't, don't you think that you learned a lot of skills that you use even today? Oh, absolutely. Or how to chase someone down when they don't pay their bill. Or <laughs> <every day. laughs> 
We've got you must have met some really. In, you must have met some really interesting people. Oh yeah, um, almost every other Sunday, um, I would get to watch uh, Jay Leno's car. Uh, so he performs, and I think he still does uh, to this day at the Comedy and Magic Club um, on Sundays. Just like goes through new material, goes over old uh, hackneyed material, whatever. But he always would drive a different car and park it right in front of the club. And it was my job every other week to just stand outside and make sure nobody touched it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I, you know, again, humility, interpersonal skills. I bet you were oh, fantastic right. at that job. Yeah. And like there was um, actually. Did you have improv, a passion for it. Yeah. And my improv story kind of starts there a bit. Um, so I had taken an improv class uh, as an elective my senior year. Um, and it was really fun. It was amazing. Had a really enjoyed it. Um, then just like one day at the comedy club, um, Orny Adams, who, if you've heard of him, you know who he is, but he's a stand-up comedian. Um, he was featured in, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's the comedian. Um, uh-huh. and he came up to me one day after just like shooting the shit in the back uh, with folks, getting, uh, making sure everyone was taken care of, interacting with uh, customers and uh, the staff. And he was like, man, you should go and like take improv classes. I was like, oh, I've, take, I've taken an improv class. He was like, no, 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 you should go and like take improv classes, like do Second City, do something big. because." You've got it. Your energy is right for it. Um, and I listened. And uh, when Northrop had a beautiful uh, program where they paid for any uh, post-secondary education, 80% for a private institution, 100% for a public. And I used a portion of that money and took classes at uh, Second City. And the rest is a but now 20 year history of improvising and producing shows and creating joy um, in the communities that I live in, traveling, teaching, improv, applied improv in the workspace. Um, uh, And, you know, there's a lot of folks who take a class, but, and it impacts their working world, but I get to like lead a double life effectively of improv is always always going to be my mistress um and it'll always inform the way that i get to show up in the office and in the work as a leader and as a president of an organization what be that right oh there'll be more roles in the future but um it'll the ability to just like take things as they come always find joy and humor in every moment no matter how grat like no matter the gravitas like try to find a way to smile um yeah sorry that was rambly and long-winded no no it's beautiful that that, listen that this this show is about a conversation with interesting (laughs) people i had uh, this at 1.5 speed (laughs) 
No, I, you know, I had uh, uh, Connor Quinn on, who's a voiceover actor, and uh, he was absolutely, I, I, I tell you, I think I said three words the whole, he just went on and on. He had such a rich history of doing all these famous commercials. I, I absolutely love it. I think the more, yeah, you know, this, this, this podcast, you know, started out of the, the death of my best friend and I wanted a way to honor him. And one of the things that him and I would do is have these rambling long conversations about life and f- our children and philosophy, just life, like oh, yeah. and leadership. And, you know, and one of the ways was to reach out and to honor Dave by doing a podcast. And, you know, my commitment to myself and my commitment to Dave was I did it for a couple of reasons. I did because I never wanted to forget him. And I say his name almost every day. I have his my what would Dave do mug on my desk. So I look down and I see him. And then I I made a commitment that I would have these great conversation with interesting people uh, in a way to honor him. And uh, so ramble on, my friend, ramble on. It's interesting. I mean, you're talking about meeting a famous actor, comedian, and then taking your uh, uh, professional development budget and putting it into Second City TV, which is great and i can tell you it was so worth it because you're so easy and to talk to and you're so relaxed and you back it like i said it earlier you back it up with all that intellect and so uh it really learning those skills i think everybody should do it i you, you know that's the one thing you and i had in common i did a little stand up in my day too yeah and i that's why we gravitated cuz i I did it. Uh, I love the fear of it um, and the adrenaline rush when you had to go out there on stage. And, you know, you talk about operating without a net and building some confidence. Stand yeah. uh, up is one thing that I can't. I, I've tried it four times. Two times it was successful. Two times it was the, one of the most miserable uh, moments of my life. But it's, um, I don't like going anywhere alone. Um, yeah, you know, stand up is a solo endeavor, um, which is great. You can stand on your laurels because you succeed based off of the work that you alone uh, put in, uh, and you also fail uh, alone. But it's like for me, you don't have that shared experience. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, with Prop- what you do with a comedy, I will tell you, it's the same. You know, it's the same thing. I'll, I'll I'll never forget this experience. I was speaking at a conference in Las Vegas. There's 3,000 people there. And I went out on stage and it, it was talking about leadership. And I did my presentation. Um, after my presentation was a, you know, that ended, that ended it. Yeah. And um, all these people took off and, you know, ran to the bar wherever they ran. And um, I was backstage all by myself with this little magician guy who had gone on before me and did some mind, you know, tricks of the audience. And, uh, you know, your typical business conference in Las Vegas. And um, I remember thinking how lonely it is. And, and that was the same thing with comedy. It's interesting you bring that up because that's what it is. You go out on stage and then, you know, you're, you're in your car driving to the next comedy club overnight. 
and maybe you can afford a hotel and maybe you can't. I, I have so such great respect for for comedians uh, because you only hear about the big ones, but there are so many out there who are doing the craft and uh, it is, it's a lonely, it's a lonely, lonely. Uh, and, and sometimes no matter, even when you're good, you know, if the audience isn't right, you're not going to be good. So much yeah. of it has to be, so much of it has to be, has to work. Yep. Um, and that's when you have great respect for the ones who it doesn't matter who the audience right. is, they can pull it off. And those are they the pros, right? The environment around them. They do. Yeah. Uh, who are you most proud of? Or what, 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 who do you admire? Not most proud of. Who do you admire out there who's leading today? Oh, man. Um, so if I talk about like big name leadership, um, right now I would have to put, Sam Altman on the and granted now I'm talking like way big name leadership um but I'm putting Sam Altman on that list of current people who I admire um and one of those rambly conversations that uh, I absolutely love uh I got a chance to just like we were traveling for work and I sat down with one of my strategy directors at work and we were just talking about um, leaders and how the role of the CEO, uh, especially in this environment where you see all, you hear all, um, has shifted. And it's gone from CEOs being uh, almost afraid of their employees. Um, so kind of stuck between the fear that their employees are going to leave and the shareholders uh, who have demands. And so becoming almost ineffectual and then like a lightning bolt, the, and whether his behavior was good or bad, uh, I have my judgments, but I won't say anything. You have the Elon Musk who say, I'm going to take control and take charge. This is how it's done. I sleep on the floor of the factory. You should sleep on the floor. You can work 18 (laughs) hours. Like just like that pure ownership of everything. And For better or worse, it's a very impactful way of uh, doing business and leading an organization. And then you have folks like Sam Altman, who, um, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, lives 10 years ahead of anything that we could even conceptualize uh, right now. And creates a sense of community and ownership in the people who like he has invested in their growth and they have invested their time uh, in the organization to the point where he is ousted from his position and his people like a band of mutinous pirates or dead poet society stand on their desks uh, 400 strong say oh captain my captain um and bring him back and while you know i'm sure there's downsides to sort of the democratization of uh decision making and like fully empowering a full squad and maybe slows down uh innovation 
it's so beautiful to watch, man. It's so amazing to see. Um, so yeah, that's like the big leader that I would say that I admire and, um, on the smaller scale, but way more impactful in my life. Um, there's a guy who, you know, we're celebrating his, uh, departure from instrument, uh, this week, actually, um, Nate Bastin, who I've watched him grow, like from being a producer on a team coming over from uh, working in hospitality uh, to being single-handedly the most respected and effectual uh, team director um, that I have seen um, over the course of last year, like lost his major annuity account, not once, but like built up another one and lost that again. And I kept his team smiling, driven, operating, um, and delivering. And it's that he did it his way. Like we had a conversation probably about three years ago or so where he was like, Hey, when I looked to my left and my right, I see these leaders, I see these executive directors and I don't feel like that's me. Um, I was like, great, then don't be that. <laughs> if, the, if the pants don't fit, don't wear them. Like, but who are you? Like, who are you as a leader? It's like, I'm someone who I find the best people uh, and like allow them to work. I was like, then go for it. You don't ever have to sign a document or put your name on something for your team to succeed. Like, find those people and remove blockers uh, for them. And God, that's exactly how he operates. And, you know, he's leaving us and he's going to be going uh, back to school. And I got to write him a letter of recommendation. Um, and it's just like, just someone who absolutely lives in his, in himself, fully knows uh, who he is, uh, knows who he isn't, and is like constantly challenging um, not only himself, but those around him. Um, yeah, I'm going to miss that guy. Well, he's not going anywhere in life. Like he'll always be in my life, but I'm going to miss having him at the office. Um, yeah, I, I, I got a funny feeling. He'll be a boomerang. Uh, you know what? Part of me doesn't want him to, um, okay. because he's going into, um, going to school for, uh, therapy. Um, oh. and to be a therapist and really like kind of lean into, uh, what's oh, worked that's... for him, um, and share that with, share that more broadly. Um, oh, and that's beautiful. man, if you could have a quarter of the impact that you've had for the 350 people at instrument for the world, for the city of Portland, for Oregon, wherever you end up living, like, go do that. Go do that. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, that's you know it is. It's uh, it's 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 the big ones, but it's also the little ones. You know, I was thinking about yeah. it this weekend, and you know, it's interesting when you get to be my age and your kids are grown, and you start to think about your legacy, and you start to think about, you know, I am the matriarch of our family. I take care of our family. I take care of my mother. I take care of 
I, I am the matriarch of her family and I won't always be here. And this weekend, I saw that my son was ready to step into that role and that he had developed the leadership skills, the maturity, the grace, um, the emotion that and the understanding that it requires to to step into, you know, being a leader of a family. And and it's a beautiful thing to watch. And I, it's given me a lot of peace. So it doesn't again, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be. Yeah. And, and I think Nate. Yeah, Altman's cool, and it's a great story, and I love the Dead Poet Society, and I love, but you know, the reality of it is, let's be honest, too. The shareholders were like, "Shit, Microsoft oh. hired him in two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> what did we do?" Yep. Ah, damn it. <laughs> so, uh, but it's a beautiful story, and yes, he is ten years ahead, and he's doing some cool shit, man. So. Uh, but I'll put my money on Nate as, uh, as, uh, a great, uh, and somebody who I think inspired you because uh, the way you spoke of him was really quite uh, oh, yeah. endearing. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I tell you what, I've taken a lot of your time, but just leave me one thing. You've, you've now been in this role. You've got two beautiful children. You've, uh, you've kind of figured that side of your life out. Like we all have to do. And it's, it seems like you're having success where, what time in your life or what, what have you done? That's, do you think has, has had a profound, profound impact on people? And the reason I ask you, Leon, is this, this podcast is about Dave. It's what would Dave do? It's titled that. And Dave had a profound impact on people's lives. And, um, I think, I think everybody does at some point. And I think sometimes we just don't talk about it enough or share it. But is there a time or some place in your life where you think your leadership or your had a profound impact on someone's life? Man, I sure I sure hope so that there is that time. Um, I can't think of like nothing like just jumps out uh, in my brain. Um, but yeah, I. I do. That's because you're too humble. No. If I ask Dave, if I ask Dave this question, I mean, he, I've had 20 episodes of people talking about him. If I asked Dave that question, he'd say the same thing. I can't think of anything. I sure hope so. Uh, it's that humility that you have. There have been people who say like, man, it's so great being around you. Like having Laurel, like literally tell me, um, Hey, as I step into the role of CEO, I think about the fact that when you walk into a room with me, like I immediately feel comfortable. It doesn't matter who I'm talking to at what level you bring a sense of peace and ease. And I know that you have my back and I'm like, man, okay. That is definitely an example of a profound impact on someone. But it's just what I, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. That's just why I get all my listening. I like the biggest advice that like, I give yeah. to folks is like, you know, if you see trash on the floor, pick it up. Like, <laughs> there you go. I, there's sure we have people who are responsible for facilities and for keeping our spaces beautiful and clean, but if you see something that needs to happen that shouldn't be there, take care of it. 
Um, and you know, maybe someone else sees you do it and will give you a spot bonus for safety or whatever. <laughs> but it's like, that's not what it's about. It's just about taking pride in your space and your time and the people who are around you. Um, not being respectful. Yeah. Being respectful. And that's the thing that I think makes those long lasting impacts and kind of creates the ripples, uh, to use the, uh, overused metaphor, um, like lasting change. Well, I'll give you one. You, uh, you had a profound impact on me. I think the time that I spent working with you and watching the way that you conduct yourself, uh, in some really difficult situations sometimes, and you always did it with class and, uh, you always did it with a smile on your face. And, um, you know, people genuinely liked working for you. So I think the time that you spent at Metal Toad really changed the trajectory of that role and how we looked at it. And, you know, I learned from everybody I work for and everybody who works for me, probably more for the people who work for me. And I think it's that positive attitude and that energy. Uh, I can candidly tell you, I mean, I, there was times where I was like, I want to adopt some of Leon's uh <laughs> persona style uh attributes whatever you want to call them but you know uh it it did it had a profound end and i think that's why i stayed in touch with you and why i've reached out to you and why i wanted you on the show and uh, i think that you're a super special person with a with a great intellect and and you've just started uh changing the world and and have a lot more to do um yeah. so i really appreciate you being on the show thank you i i I love doing this. If you want to do this every week, uh, we can just, <laughs> just ramble on my, uh, like a couple of old uh, sailors. Like, it's great. It's, it's, a, it's just a nice conversation with an yep. interesting person. And I love that. So it's the, it's the heartbeat of the show. Yeah. So. Thank you. This is an amazing way to start the day. Um, uh, carrying this forward. Well, listen, buddy, I appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Same. Take care.